0: In most locations across the country, apart from Sydney and Melbourne, property purchases are done via private treaty negotiations. So let's look at some of the conditions that you might want to include in your negotiations if you're not buying at auction. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was
1: Veronica. We're both buyer's agents and probably old enough to be your mums, but that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step.
0: Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode, and if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property, and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the
1: interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You, of course, know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now, we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. About special conditions that you might include in a private treaty negotiation. But before we get into that, Veronica, check out what I have in my background today. Oh my god. It has to be an English person's dream, doesn't it? It is a teapot. It's called the Teapot Gas Station in Zilla, Washington State. And it is actually a tourist attraction. You can only go there by appointment. Uh, but apparently quite
0: an interesting place to visit.
1: Don't know that I'd like to live there. A little bit on the small side, and I'm not a teacher. Yeah. For myself. and
0: they've got all those glass bricks. So it doesn't look like they've got an opening window. But you know, it's funny. Like you think it's like shingled shingles and glass bricks. You can only imagine. It's just a pretty ugly little thing, really. What inspired someone to create such a structure? Awful little thing. <laughs> it that sits alongside the big prawn and the big sheep and the big pineapple and the big banana. You got a big teapot. <laughs> Uh, And I thought that it was only Australia that
1: had things like that. There you go. (laughs) No, no, there, there there are so many around the place. Now, Rodica, in your first home buyer course, there are 10 methodical and systematic steps that need to be taken in the correct order to get the process done right. In step six, we talk about the different methods of sale, the main ones being public auction, private treaty and expressions of interest. There are some other sort of variations of those, but they're the main ones. Now in both private treaty negotiations and expressions of interest, you can make an offer that is conditional on special conditions in most states. I'm gonna so tr- much in New South Wales.
0: Well, no, that's true. Typically, when you um make your offer in New South Wales, um, yeah, they're not conditional. It's not like you can't sort of go, Oh, well, I'll buy this as long as my finance comes through, or oh, I'll buy this as long as I sell. Another property. There are conditions you can request, though, but there's nothing that that there's very, very few that would allow you to actually back out. Yeah. So yeah. without costing you, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and look,
1: we're not we're not talking about the the general conditions that are in a contract because there's lots of standard conditions that compel each party to do certain things in certain timeframes. So they're they're usually quite standard conditions on most contracts. A condition in a contract is an event or an act that obliges a party to perform an action or conduct a performance as specified in the contract, and they're really clearly clearly written. But um, there are many conditions in contracts, but we're only talking about these special additional kind of ones that aren't kind of in in every contract and where you might use them. Some really common ones, uh, Veronica, you'd be familiar with these maybe not use using yourself so much in your marketplace but finance so often you see a contract that is subject to finance approval and it's it's a usually a standard condition that is written into the terms and conditions of the contract so for example in queensland most um, contracts are um, created through the reiq the real estate institute of Queen- queensland that works together with the queensland law society to produce a standard form contract so that solicitors don't have to reproduce these things over and over again for for each transaction um it sort of simplifies the process it follows queensland property law uh, and the legislation up here and uh, but then there are are, are spaces for conditions to be inserted and and two really common ones are are finance Mm -hmm. so that gives the buyer an opportunity to um to go to their financier who they've should have obtained uh, pre-approval through prior to making an offer on the, the, the <laughs> property because of course they would have done step one which yep. is actually <laughs> which i think that's step two build but anyway their team it's early on <laughs> yeah so they've done step one which is build their team yep. and then actually gone through the money process which is step two so uh, good students
0: well and back, truly bedded down if they've done the course <laughs>
1: But of course that's not final approval so what what pre-approval does is it, it approves the person who is going to borrow the money but then the bank wants to approve the asset or what it is that they're actually lending against and make sure that's worth what you actually paid for it so mm-hmm. that's generally what um, a subject to finance condition allows you to do is get that second part of the process done once you've got a property under your control um and that that condition is often quite standard and and really only a couple of lines written in to refer to um, the standard condition
0: and it's important because you know taking it from pre-approval to unconditional approval usually requires valuation and if that comes in the wrong number you have the opportunity to get out of the contract because you're not going to be able to be to borrow the same amount of money you thought you were Going to borrow, but it's, I would think, um, and look in New South Wales, there's such a thing as a cooling off period, mm. and in that time is where you would do that and you'd rescind, and there's a penalty for that. And we go into all the detail of that in the course, but um, so you, therefore, you don't need a condition because it there's cooling off is conditionless, like it's just if you decide not to for whatever reason, yes. Yes. Whereas if you're entering into a contract without the need for a cooling off period, um, it's you know there's no penalty if those things don't
1: yeah. so, so um, these conditions are uh the remedy is the ability to terminate if these things can't be um satisfied and i'm going to talk about how conditions are constructed constructed shortly but the the um ability to terminate the contract if the performance can't be done by either by the party upon whom um that is meant to Complete the complete performance tied <laughs> <inside> there. It's <laughs> um, Then, then the ability to terminate rests with uh, whichever party the condition points mm-hmm. to as as being able to terminate.
0: Yep. Right. Ability. So that's a big one, and that's mm. very very common that people would use that. Yeah.
1: The other the other common one is subject to building and pest inspection, and of course, if you're doing if you're going to get ready for an auction, you do that prior, or maybe the owner has done one and it's an acceptable one to you um might do another one whatever the case may be but a, a contract that's subject to a building and pest inspection allows the purchaser to do that inspection after the binding point of the contract so when it's under your control and you can terminate in certain circumstances. So certainly not if uh, you know um, there's uh, cupboards that don't close properly just because the handle's broken, or um you don't like the look of the flooring after you've purchased it. it it's generally based on a structural element of the building, um, or some sort of cost that is really unexpected um, and and reasonably significant. Now, one of the things about those,
0: yeah. I was going to ask you because obviously it's not something we have to worry about very much in New South Wales, mm. but for you up in Brizzy, do you find um, there's ever an argument as to what constitutes a satisfactory building inspection?
1: Yeah, there can be. Yeah, mm. so uh, the, the condition as it's written into the the RRQ contract compels the buyer to provide evidence to the seller if they are going to terminate under that condition by providing the written report, and then the the, the seller has the opportunity to review that and say, well, hang on. I I don't agree that this is unreasonable. It is very rare that a seller could stop a termination under a building and pest clause unless there really literally wasn't anything in there. But they could certainly argue that it's unreasonable. There is a a reference to the buyer being reasonable Mm. in in the assessment. I love Uh, that legal definition of reasonable.
0: (laughs) <laughs> what a reasonable person reasonable? would expect or do? <laughs> what is reasonable?
1: Uh, you know, one of the one of the opportunities that buyers have, if there are issues found in a building and pest inspection, and and again, we go through this in great detail in the course, is um you can either accept it how it is, you can quantify how much it would cost to um, remedy the the issues that have been found. and and let's say, for example, that comes up to, Twenty thousand. We had a we had a plumbing inspection on a property that was thirty thousand dollars of remedial work needed to be done. So we renegotiated with the owner to adjust the price um, to compensate for that. They had no idea those issues were down there, mm. and, and it's uh, often the case. Like themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember, and, but they don't what, have to accept that. I, I just want to finish that point off. Yeah, they okay. don't, The seller does not have to accept any rene- renegotiation, and then it's up to the buyer to then say, "All right, well, I don't want to pay this thirty thousand dollars. I'm just going to." Walk away from this mm. property and get my deposit back and and move on to the next one. So whilst you might be able to quantify and reveal information about the structural elements and issues of a property, you can't compel the owner to adjust the price um to represent how much it will cost you to fix that or compel them to to actually fix it themselves. So you still have the control of being able to say, no, I'll take it as it is or no, it's too much, I'm going to walk away
0: and um, and go and find another one. It's amazing how people ask, you know, they sort of think that they're going to be able to use the building and pest inspection as some sort of big stick. And it's like, well, it's so unusual, really, that it, that a reasonable <laughs> uh, buyer would would use that or a reasonable vendor would agree to it. But I remember when I was selling way back in the day, and there's one particular house that I was selling. And during the um and it was a past inter-auction and so I was selling it after auction. And so the buyer was doing a building pest inspection before exchanging contracts. So that's what we were doing in this area. And so they discovered live termites during the inspection.
1: In the yard and or in the property? In the property. Oh. So, of
0: course, the owner had no idea. Oh. and it's like oh yeah, my noisy god noisy too, those things sometimes <laughs> they can be <laughs> mm. that that noise um so yeah in this in this particular instance i remember we negotiated um where should I, I was acting for the seller <laughs> mm. So I had to, you know, put a very different hat on than the one I have on now, Yes, but also to really negotiate a deal where the seller actually dealt with those termites in a satisfactory way that the buyer was satisfied with and then any structural, you know, work was was undertaken or some money was left aside for it. Um, And that can be a long process because the process of actually um, baiting
1: termites
0: can be somewhere between six weeks and three months, I think. Oh no they poison them they kill them the baits are there to for termite management so the baits are there mm. so that people who you know they all around the perimeter of your the, house t- I, I think it, yeah you're right even after they're poisoned, I think there is a reinspection period. Oh, you'd have to. Yeah. You yeah. want to make sure you didn't have
1: didn't miss it can, any. It can take <laughs> take some time to get through that whole process.
0: Oh my God. Anyway, yeah. So it's these things can happen, obviously, that during the building pest inspection, yeah. but it's very unusual that, that it really does make any material difference to the price or to whether you would go ahead with it. Um, what's another one? Any other oh, we common ones. Yeah, sorry. I, I'm just trying to think of some other common ones. Um, one that maybe, oh, you've got that further down. I'm not going to, I'm not jumping ahead. <laughs>
1: okay, we're getting it. I'm just, I just want to go back to the, the building and pest one. Mm. There, there's been times where um, buyers have been quite frightened by building and pest inspections so they have, they have to be, you know, written in, in a in really strong language to protect the liability of the inspector themselves. And and I remember a buyer of ours, a first-time buyer, getting really upset that was supporting a piece of the deck, I think it was. And it had um, small termite damage and the recommendation was to replace it. And they were ready to pull the plug on this property. <laughs> and and we, we're building and in pest inspectors that we use are, are generally all, um, ex-builders. Mm-hmm. So what we often get them to do is then go away and give us an idea about how much it will cost to remedy. Um, and then we've got real facts to work with because until then, you know, it's it can sound terrible it you know this deck may fall down if if this isn't repaired and you know, of course that's important but it went it it got them it got the buyers so worked up we're just sort of saying look it's okay let's just find out how much it's going to cost no no we just want to terminate we can't you know. and, and it actually was about eight hundred dollars to replace oh, this particular beam and and it, it you know, i guess that's what i say you know, it can sound really terrible and Um, uh, like the whole thing is going to fall down, but when you actually quantify how much and this, and the seller just went, oh, well, what, so you want to, what's the the fuss about? Yeah. what's? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Really? That's, that's what you're going to come back. Well, it's structural and that, you know, anyway, so they did, um, they actually got the, uh, got it replaced in a workman like manner. So, so I I guess the, the thing is you can find things in these reports that sound really scary but actually don't end up costing that much and shouldn't be a reason not to buy the property. But, you know, it's case by case basis.
0: Oh, God, yeah. I remember when I was a sales agent and I used to always preempt that with buyers to say, you know, you've got to understand these are old houses and, and yeah. I've never come across one that hasn't had some level of termite damage. So we want to make sure it's not structurally, you know, compromised and also they're not active. Um, and the other one is like, look, the the building pest inspection is a very scary document, not not the least because it's got so many disclaimers in it. Yes. and even as a, as a buyer's agent, I once had a client, we got a building and pest inspection done for this property They went and it was okay and they went away and read it. They came back to me and said, well, I'm not buying that because it's got asbestos. And I went, I said, God, where did you find that? I read the report. I didn't see any mention of asbestos. So I read it again. I'm like, I can't find any mention of asbestos. And in the back at the end of it, there's like two, three pages of disclaimers. It was disclaimer number 13 that asbestos can exist in older buildings, and if so, blah, 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 blah. It's a standard, um, so this client had read through everything. Literally, I had to read the report twice because I don't read the disclaimers. What's the point? You know, and then I went, oh, it's in the disclaimers. (laughs) That's when you've got to put your reasonable hat on.
1: Yes, Yes, exactly right. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about other special conditions. So they must be written up by a legal practitioner. Don't make it up yourself, and don't let oh, an agent write come
0: it. Come on, in Queensland, you can write your own, can't you?
1: You can, but that doesn't make yeah. If, if you but you it
0: said it must be well as if as if the law oh, says it must be fair
1: enough. Then. We say
0: it must be. <laughs> we so you you, say it must be. You written could up by write a legal it yourself,
1: I, actually, and you, you don't want to you can <laughs> write the whole contract yourself if you want to. The entire thing you can write only it. in Queensland. Uh, but look, I, I I would certainly recommend against it and don't, uh, agents often have a little, um, set of con uh, contract conditions. If they've been written by a legal practitioner, that might be okay, but you want to check they're actually um, looking after your risk and managing your risk in the in the contract. If you're asking for the condition, now conditions might go backwards and forwards between solicitors before they're agreed. Just because your solicitor writes it one way, the other party solicitor might say, "Look, we agree in principle, but we we need to change the time frame, or we need to change the mm-hmm. remedy, or we need to change how this process is going to be done." So they might might go back and forth. They usually sound sort of something like this, and I've, I've got one that I thought I'd kind of read out. It's something along the lines of this contract is subject to and conditional upon the buyer being satisfied as to every aspect of the property. Um, so there, there, there's something that that be that broad. Happen. Yeah, due diligence clause, the best contract condition you can ever get across the line and probably accepted in less than 5% of um, proposed cases.
0: And a that's se- a lot. <laughs> really good point because just because you put the condition on your offer does not necessarily mean that they're going to be accepted. Yes. Because often, and it's market dependent if it's a seller's market, they can say, Bugger off, we'll wait for somebody else who doesn't want to do a building inspection yes. or d- doesn't, doesn't have to worry have about just finance.
1: True, Veronica. How mm. many times do people make unconditional offers without doing yeah. any due diligence
0: whatsoever yeah. before they are bound to the contract? Scared, absolutely scares me. Yeah, the other thing I'll just add in too is that contracts are, we've talked so many times about how different everything is in different states, and it's hilarious that in Queensland you can literally, like you said, write your own contracts. You can write your own clauses. Don't do it, but you could. In New South Wales, literally there is a box on the front, and we have an extensive contract uh, for every property, and on the front page of that contract there's a box, and the only thing the agent can change, not only the buyer you know maybe the buyer could change it i've never met one that would um the only thing the agent is allowed to touch inside is what's inside that box and that literally is marking the inclusions writing the purchaser's name address the purchaser's conveyance the solicitor's details the um price the date and i think joint no not even joint tenants or com- or tenancy common that's outside the that's box yeah. anything outside that box How's that for the top of my head? By the way, just 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 wow. saying, yeah. everything a contract at- or two, <laughs> everything outside that box has to have uh, a legal input. So if the sales agent can't complete it; n- neither can the buyer's agent. Even mm-hmm. so, so that's the extent of one extreme of of um you know you do you need to get advice to right through to how loose it is in Queensland. And well, look, and in- I think you need more advice because of how <laughs> yes. loose it is in Queensland. I know. I one hundred percent agree. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So conditions usually have some, they're constructed to have an obligation against one of the parties, a time frame, so when it has to be satisfied by, how it will be satisfied, and the remedy if it's not satisfied. So there's a a very um, structured way of of putting a, a contract clause together. So let's have a look at what some of them might be. Sometimes people say, I want to get my conveyance searches back before it's unconditional. I want to make sure that there isn't a main road going to abut this property or there isn't um, uh, a flood zone. Yeah. Hopefully you will have done that before you've actually made an (laughs) offer. But If
0: you're doing our process, you absolutely will have done it beforehand. However, (laughs) (laughs) you know,
1: those sorts of things, those conveyancing searches, uh, is is the land contaminated? Is there a protected tree that you are hoping to knock down and do a swimming pool but you actually can't do that? Um, these sorts of conveyancing searches, they're, they're really checking the matters that affect the property um, and are done in generally after the contract is formed. So if anything is found and you haven't got a condition on there that makes the contract subject to searches, anything that comes up, you probably can't terminate the contract over, over those sort of findings. So if you do find that you've purchased on a protected road corridor that might be a future highway and you, you really haven't got an opportunity in most states to to terminate the contract, but if you've got a condition that allows you to look into those sorts of
0: things, you can. So it's that extra protection. Very useful. And yet, once again, it's about what, knowing what you don't know, that a lot of people don't even realise you can find this stuff out. Yes. So they wouldn't put the clause in.
1: It takes time and money. That That's the thing. It's not something that you can easily go, oh, well, let's look up, you know, the Energex search or let's look up the main road search. Um, they are things that need to be purchased. You can purchase them, council searches. You know, you can purchase them, but it's usually part of the conveyance process and the solicitors will then interpret them for you.
0: Yeah, but you've also got to know that the information is there to be found so that you do actually put the clause in. So that's the problem, isn't it? And have For it a lot accepted. of people. Yeah. yeah. And, and yes. <laughs> and have it accepted. Another so you problem. could actually, you could put out 10 20 clauses, you know, in your, in your offer if you want to, but, you know, you've also got to be commercial <laughs> yes. to, to make the offer enticing if it is if it is a seller's market.
1: Yeah, a lot of these you won't get across the line in a seller's market, but um, where there's less competition, they might mm. be, you know, you can be a little bit more thorough. So evidence of certification or approvals. This is one that you in New South Wales are part of your contract, I believe.
0: Mm-mm. Victoria only under certain circumstances so only if it's um what yeah in victoria it, i think no not even it's actually not um a prescribed document anywhere to my knowledge that you have to prove that what you've built on there is proved so, there are things like if it's what, within what the homeowner an occupation certificate. yeah, if That's it's within it. yeah. if it's within the homeowners warranty period, you do have to have the homeowner's warranty certificate in there, but you don't have to have the occupation certificate. So it's one of those things that we're always asking for beforehand, but once again. And you know what? This is a good one because this shows also sometimes we can put conditions in in contracts. Sometimes we can, but it does come down to market conditions. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have an occupation certificate and we suspect well, oh, there's a bit of a chance that maybe they haven't been approved, we can make settlement contingent on getting that, but we have to get that agreed and put into the contract and blah blah blah. It's a lot more, it's not um it's a lot more convoluted. So it's not like you never get conditional contracts in New South Wales. It's just that it's really circumstantial as in Situational and also really dependent on the market. And there's been times we've walked away from properties because we can't get it conditional on these. And these are really important factors, these ones. For and the and price. generally, the
1: remedy doesn't involve a termination option.
0: Mm, absolutely, it does. So, what it means is this is a condition that has to be satisfied by X date. And if not, you know we can choose to go ahead or we can choose to terminate so you can have a termination okay Mm. there you go learning something new every day but it's unusual and even with an auction but the thing is once again no buyer no seller in their right mind is going to go to auction with with one bidder who's got a a clause in there saying that they could terminate could terminate right Mm -hmm. but if the market's slow enough they'll do it good good piece of advice
1: so so why you would do this is to make sure all the improvements are legal. So um, I'll give you some Queensland examples. Adding a deck on the back to back of um, a 1920s Queenslander, you won't have any approval documents for the 1920s Queenslander, but there should be approval certifi- uh, certification documents for the deck that was added um, building under a Queenslander requires certification and sometimes building, um, uh, certainly building approval, but development approval sometimes. So there'll be a certain set of documents if that's been done and if they're not available, I'd be questioning whether you want to actually go ahead with that purchase or um, have you paid the right price as if it didn't exist.
0: Yeah. Uh, I often have that conversation with clients and say, look, well, not so sure, you know, what if you had to lose those rooms, you know, mm-hmm. what if they had to vanish? But yep. well, what if you're only allowed to put, you know, use them for storage? Storage, yeah. Don't pay for yes. them as bedrooms. Pools. <laughs> yeah.
1: Bedrooms that are um, either certified or not certified as bedrooms. That can change what price you should pay. So if you've got two bedrooms that are um, correct and legal and habitable and two that aren't, then you should be paying for a four-bedroom house. You should be paying for a two bedroom house. Mm-hmm. You might just use those other rooms as, as bedrooms, as many people do. Okay. Um, carports, you know, all of these things do require certification. Uh, and, and depending on how old they are, there may or may not be records of that certification. The implications for you as the purchaser, if you go ahead with a purchase and there are unapproved structures on the property, then you may be given a show calls notice by the local council. And either have to get certification, which is very difficult, doable, but very difficult and very expensive retrospectively, or they can force you to tear it tear it down. So it's it, it they're also uninsured. So unimproved structures oh. are not covered. If you have you know a, a total demo, a total loss event, um, you won't be compensated by your insurance company for those unapproved structures.
0: I always hate the idea of you know somebody having to take the responsibility for somebody else's slackness yeah. you know they're a bit loose about how they got their 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 building works done it's like oh i don't like that do you not like that being you passed know, on sometimes it's just a piece of paper that the builder forgot to submit oh yeah
1: so that, I've come that's across, a really easy one to deal with if yeah you find the builder
0: <laughs> come across that so many times we had a, a, a property that we bought actually for a client that we knew there was a sewer um line running underneath the extension at the back. And that's not that uncommon, but you've got to get a document from Sydney Water saying it's approved and encased, right? And so there's things you gotta get, right? And of course they didn't have it. And not only that, they didn't even have the sewer diagram, which in New South Wales is a prescribed document. Yes. And it had a document in there saying from Sydney Water, we don't have any records of this. And I'm like, that doesn't count. like, you know, and their conveyance go that that's all I have to do. And it's like, actually, no, it's not a sewer diagram. So then you've got two conveyances having arguments with each other about what constitutes a sewer diagram. Mm. And I'm like, well, guess what? We're not buying it without it. So you need to go and get it. Anyway, in the end, I had to get onto the agent and, oh, it's was this total convoluted nightmare to go, Go and get those owners to dig up all that paperwork and go through this hassle. And of course, somebody somewhere, the plumber, or whatever it was, hadn't submitted the paperwork. So then it they're been trying done properly. But six it years hadn't later, yeah, yeah, six years later, they're trying to chase down the builder to get access to the plumber. You got to hope they're still on talking terms, you know. <laughs> finally, right. finally got to the bottom of it. But we ended up we did exchange contracts on that, and it was a condition of the purchase. So, but it's unusual and most people would either buy it without realising it, which is an absolute no-no, or they give up. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, the The next one that can come up, and and you may have heard this, is a subject to sale clause. Now, usually you'll only see this in a buyer's market.
0: No, sell. Sellers oh, yeah. Sorry, a buyer's it. market. <laughs> I'm getting myself all
1: confused. <laughs> You probably never see it, Veronica.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, we never actually see this at all, ever. Yeah, the subject of sale is where
1: um, maybe the owner isn't getting much interest in their property and someone comes along and says, look, I I do want to buy it, but I have to sell my house first. I can't actually do the purchase without selling and I have to make sure that I get a buyer from my place before, but I want to make sure that you don't sell this to someone else. And it's only where there's really no other buyers around that a seller might consider accepting <laughs> this kind of condition. I'll tell you what, in the UK, in, in London, there can be an absolute lineup of subject to sales. Um, it, it, the most I've seen. They call it a chain. They have a chain in the mm. UK, which is just, so, but it must be so tricky to manage, oh. where Every single purchase is subject to the sale of right down to the very last one, which is usually the first home buyer who hasn't got anything to sell. So, you know, their entire chain is dependent on every
0: one of those properties settling. So It's a nightmare. Imagine putting your your life on hold, (laughs) you know, even in a rising market, that's how they do it. You know, so it's like imagine if prices are rising and you're stuck in a chain and you're just hoping against hope that nobody in that chain falls over yeah. because when they do, the whole thing collapses. going to start from scratch. Every <gasps> one of them falls <gasps> over. Um,
1: and and the reason that people might put this on a contract as a condition is so they don't get stuck with two houses. You know, not oh yeah. There are there are not many people who could pay for two houses if they purchased, settled and hadn't actually sold their original property. <laughs> so it's it's making sure you don't get yourself into a bit of a financial pickle or or have you know, long bridging finance. I don't think they call it bridging finance now um yeah where you're having two mortgages and and banks breathing down your neck saying
0: so we get, we're rubbish. getting ahead of ourselves here though because we you know your first home buyer guide our first home buyers aren't buying subject to sale <laughs> they're but hoping it, that down the track when they when, when they go and buy, buy their next one stone, yeah yeah yeah, you yeah. stepping stone strategy you, you may
1: actually find mm. that, that is the case but um what can happen is in A seller's market, a seller may agree to sell their property, but on the condition that they actually purchase something. Uh, So it's a subject to purchase contract. Subject to purchase contract. Really rare, but can happen, particularly in a rapidly rising market where there's not much stock and not not much to choose from. And and they might do this, so it might say, yeah, I'll accept your offer, but it's going to be conditional until I have purchased something (laughs) because I don't want to be homeless. So it's rare, but when there's not a lot of stock around, sometimes it it is one that gets across the line. Now often these types of conditions might end up with a sunset clause, and and we did an episode, Veronica, that where we talked about sun, sunset clauses, and and it is something you brought it up. It's not they're not in New South Wales. I don't. Is that right? No, um, not
0: for price? brand new properties. Nothing new. Um, that's right. They do have some of these special conditions that uniquely that we have here. Um, would it, the clause can have it, have a sunset clause within it? Um, in the sense that you know, you that's where your deadline comes in. You know, this has to be satisfied by X date, otherwise, all bets are off. Number seventy-eight. So, if yeah, you want to know about sunset clauses, one. yeah, go back so, and listen to that one.
1: So, so why the opposite? So, whoever has put a contract a condition. Fourth, the other party can put a sunset clause on that condition that basically says if something better comes along. So say, for example, um, there's a contract for subject to the uh, sale. So, yep, I'll sell you, I'll let you have this. You can sell (laughs) your house, but if I get a better offer, I'm going to give you 72 hours to either take that condition off and make it unconditional or I can terminate the contract Mm. against you. So it gives them, you still have the surety that you've kind of got it under control, but they have the opportunity to say, no, something better has come along. So either go ahead and purchase or go and find another house. So really, really important stuff to get solicitors to look at, draft correctly to make sure that your risks are managed and to be realistic if you are you know, looking at if you have got, you know, you make an offer on a property and the seller says, yep, righty-o, but I need to purchase. Therefore, you've got a subject to purchase clause on your contract. And you really need to understand the implications of that because you can't get out of it <laughs> unless you put a sunset clause on it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So- <laughs> <It's>, this, <laughs> and that's,
1: yeah. A, that's a complex thing to, can, to put together.
0: We yeah. can't even wrap our heads around buyers' markets, sellers' <laughs> markets, you know, let alone <laughs> trying to put clauses in contracts with some Stumbling clothes. over
1: it, you know, the concepts there, the mouth just isn't working as <laughs> well. This, this sex condition,
0: I've never heard of this one before. You haven't? No. Yeah.
1: We, um, so we use this sometimes when people are interstate or overseas and it's a personal inspection. So it might be um, that it's a, a market that's moving quickly or. They don't want the expense of coming over from um, Perth or or Sydney or whatever the case may be to actually in- personally inspect the property. We might have done Zoom walkthroughs and videos and photos and all those sorts of things, but they still want to actually put their feet on the ground, but they don't want to spend a couple of thousand dollars to bring the family over if they don't know if they're going to actually be able to purchase the property or not. So a binding contract can be created subject to a personal inspection. Mm-hmm. By a certain date on certain conditions, with the seller being a purchaser being able to terminate if they're not satisfied with the condition. It's a rare one, but it's important if you are buying a property site unseen that you either have a you know thoroughly uh, have it inspected by somebody who is an expert and is looking after your interests, or you have a subject of personal inspection clause on there as an option. So talk to a solicitor about that if you're buying interstate or overseas, because um, you certainly don't want to be. Buying
0: just off the photos or the marketing material. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not.
1: <laughs> uh, and usually that's within a couple of days. So it's not a long clause. It it generally is,
0: you know, get on the plane that day if the contract comes together. And you think too, you're always going to be thinking, is a vendor going to take it off the market for this? Like so your offer sometimes has to be a bit higher if you're going to put a Absolutely. clause like that on there. That's
1: a really, really good point, Veronica, because they, these are risks to a seller. So having mm. a condition on a contractor a contract that allows termination is a risk to the seller. So often the way that they will accept that risk is to say, all right, well, I want a bit more money in in compensation for that. Mm. Yeah. You've got to be careful that you're not overpaying no it's a
0: minefield isn't it it? It it's
1: a (laughs) mine but um, again i guess the idea of this episode is to open your eyes as to uh, things other things that might be possible and there's a whole plethora of other conditions that might be you know maybe getting settlement periods or settlement periods or rent backs or um, Mm. early possession there's there's a lot of different things that you can this is just to open your mind to some of the things that you might be able to think creatively about And, and sometimes actually um, oh, putting a condition something. on a contract that suits the
0: seller yes. and can help you buy it for less money. Or can give you the advantage so that yes. they'll do the deal with you in, yeah. a, in a hotter market. But sometimes some strange inclusions and exclusions our contract, uh, our our um yes. special conditions as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: sometimes people like their bedspreads that match the curtains, and they want to
0: take the curtains with them. Oh, I know. You go, wow. Normally, be an inclusion. Are you moving into a house with exactly the same windows, <laughs> size windows? That's amazing. Well, the dishwasher it was given to me mm. by my auntie. Ah uh, for our wedding. Are you kidding me? Seriously? <laughs> Sentimental <laughs> about a ten, in the hallway. 10-year-old dishwasher.
1: Heirloom and you know they're going to stick a bayonet fitting back up there.
0: <laughs> I have I had one client who bought a property and there was this agreement to take off that is oh, this awful sort of I don't know it was a metal eagle and it was hanging out on what looked like a flagpole stuck out the side of the house, right? right. Now the exclusion was the eagle and the flagpole and the pole the thing was on. And to be honest, I noticed the eagle was gone. I didn't notice the flagpole was still there. I don't know. It just sort of blended in. I didn't notice. And the, our clients were quite um, put out that the pole was still there. And I'm like, you could put whatever you want on that pole now, you know. <laughs> no, we don't want the pole either. <laughs> I didn't want the eagle. Definitely don't want the pole. <laughs> so there's understand- a little bit of argy-bargy over that, but the vendor did not want to take it. It's like, well, it is a condition.
1: <laughs> we once had, um, some, it was a, a very complex negotiation and, and got down to the nitty gritty of things and, um, you know, pot plants can sometimes be something that mm. someone says, you know, there might be some beautiful large figs in, at the entrance or something and that might be negotiated in or excluded or whatever the case may be. Um, w- we had some buyers who there was a particular, um, set of pelican, a pair of pel- pelicans, uh, Statues in the in the yard that were to be an exclusion, and they wanted those included. So that needed to be a special condition
0: of the contract. Know. They were
1: to remain there.
0: Some people get they start fighting over a pair of you know those those flamingos made out of old tires, you know, <laughs> <laughs> in your front yard. Oh my god!
1: Or a gnome. <laughs> Look, we haven't really gone into inclusions and exclusions in terms of fixtures and and chattels. Um, because that, there's a lot in, in the course about that. That sort mm. of thing, and what to make sure is stated very clearly in the contract. But there, there are also other conditions that you need to to really think about is making sure that the dishwasher is still there. Because <laughs> in Queensland, it because they're not screwed in, they're actually not technically a um, fitting a, fixture. A fixture. Mm. Yeah. So unless it's stated as it's as an inclusion, they can take it. Whereas an air
0: conditioner, with, they can't. Oh my God. And you take the remotes. It's, <laughs> it's so bizarre, isn't it? I know I've seen some bizarre lists of inclusions that you just think, oh my god, they're a bit anal. But you know, when some people put they itemize everything, it makes me worry about what they're gonna take. Take <laughs> you know, so I've seen bathroom vanities taken and stuff like that. You go, what the hell? Why That's would you take a bathroom answer. vanity? You know, it's oh god, you know, anyway, so yes. Contract conditions um, subject to and and making your contract conditional on certain things like finance and like building pests and that sort of thing um, is very much a location-based, what's the word, um, privilege and a market-based privilege Mm. Mm. as in how hot the market is or not.
1: Absolutely. And look, not all conditions are necessary. Um, Generally, uh, you know, often A solicitor will suggest that you put a general due diligence uh, condition on a contract. These are, as I mentioned earlier, they basically allow you to pull out the contract for any reason whatsoever. So you can do all of your investigations and everything under a general due diligence clause, but they are really, really frowned upon by sellers and their solicitors. So you'll rarely get them accepted because really what they're trying, what, what a condition should do is specifically say, what is it that you want to investigate? And what time frame do you need to do that? And what is going to happen if the results of that investigation are not as you expected? So um, not all conditions are necessary. And just because you propose one does not compel the vendor to accept it. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for 1st home buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help
0: others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.